you're listening to the Metamore City Podcast. Warning. This episode contains mature themes and adult language. Listener discretion is advised. Metamore City, a podcast series created by Chris Lester. For more information, please visit www.metamorecity.com. So it turns out that Metamore City's been getting the kind of feedback that we can only do a show, that Chris can only do a feedback show anymore with the help of two sidekicks and a shitload of booze. (laughs) Hey there, folks. This is Chris. We are back for our feedback show. One feedback show was not enough to deal with the huge pile of stuff that people have been sending in over the last few months that I haven't had time to deal with. So after last time, we have now uh, are getting into the mailbag in addition to the voicemails. And to help with this, to make it more interesting, I have enlisted Dan Sawyer and Kitty Nikian from the Antithesis Predestination and Other Games of Chance podcast. I've got to do something about that title. Yeah, I know, seriously. (laughs) (laughs) This is Dan. I'm the author and performer and producer of the Antithesis podcast. This is Kitty Nakian. I'm one of the performers on the Antithesis podcast. And you're the other producer. Oh, yeah, and I'm the other producer. And this is Chris, and I brought the booze. And we love him for it. (laughs) I just discovered, I went to BevMo, which for those of you who don't live in California, is this um, basically giant booze shop, super booze warehouse. Went there to pick up a Chianti for tonight's pasta dinner and saw these interesting little dark chocolate bottles filled with different kinds of liqueur. So we are just cracking these things open over the course of the evening and uh, trying out different flavors. So if we become increasingly jolly and incomprehensible over the course of the evening, you'll know why. And if we run out of these, I've got some scotch and some Baileys and some other fun stuff. Oh, brilliant. The other thing that we have today... um, is that somebody, and I don't know who it is, I'm assuming it was a listener, because they um, didn't enclose a note of any kind, but I actually received a care package today uh, with homemade cookies and homemade fudge and cocoa mix and a bunch of other stuff from uh, Miriam and Robin Pello in Lima, uh, Ohio. So thank you very much, Miriam and Robin. I have no idea who you are, but I'm assuming you listened to this show and you got my address from somebody uh, because, but that was a very nice surprise and uh, was a great way to sort of kick off the holiday festivities here. Alrighty, so we are going to go ahead and open up the mail bag here, and I have enlisted Dan and Kitty to read some of the messages. So, Dan, why don't you go ahead and give us the first one in the bag? Okay. Subject, praise from Jan. I've just discovered Metamore City and am blown away. I'm only on episode three, but I'm enthralled. The story is just great, and the voices are amazing, and the reading is perfect. I'm begrudging anything that takes me away from the story. This is miles above anything else I've heard. Thank you, Jan in Nova Scotia. Well, thank you very much, Jan and ooh, Nova Scotia. I've heard that that's very beautiful when it's not completely covered with snow. Which is probably not now. <laughs> probably not now, no. <laughs> but I'm glad that you're enjoying it, and... Uh, 
certainly things that keep you away from the show are bad unless they are involved things like, you know, eating, breathing, sleeping. So make sure you uh, put in time for those things. Oh, and I guess we should say spending time with family since this is the holiday season and all that. Depends on the family, really. Well, I mean, check. if it's the Manson family, <laughs> probably not a good idea. <laughs> okay, Kitty, what's next in the bag? Subject, Oz as Populism. Chris, I hate to be the one to do this to you, but The Wizard of Oz is not a political allegory about populism. The theory that it was has been pretty conclusively debunked most thoroughly here at... Don't need to read the URL. It's fine. (laughs) I'll put it in the show notes. Okay. Short answer, the theory doesn't make sense when you examine it holistically, and moreover, Baum was a Republican. Ugh. This is proof that there is nothing uglier than having a beautiful theory get mauled to death by a roving <laughs> gang of facts. But you're a scientist. That's part of your job. I know. That's one of the downsides <laughs> of being a scientist. You come up with these beautiful theories, and then you start examining them more th- thoroughly, and they just fall apart. So You could get into Masonic conspiracy theories there. Then Count- there's no way to prove it. Yeah, okay, Well, and, and contraindicating facts are proof that the bad guys are out there initiating propaganda to get you to doubt the theory of course because they don't want you to know the truth yes because if you don't know they can control you of course unless you're wearing your tinfoil hat (laughs) but yeah i did go to the article and read it and it, it does look like sadly the theory does not hold water even though it was taught to me in college by my american history professor and my american history textbook um, yes, Baum was apparently a supporter of McKinley and the gold standard, which pretty much eliminates Yeah, it all. completely shoots the whole theory in the foot. It does, it does. Um, the, the, which makes it all the more amazing that the imagery works so well as an allegory for populism. <laughs> Gotta love zeitgeists, huh? Oh, I know. It was obviously <laughs> inside of his head at some, to some degree and was just expressing itself. I mean, I know that there are things that... I have been writing, and uh, you know that, that I'll, I'll write them and then look at them afterwards. It's like, huh, okay, I see parallels to this and that and the other thing that are going on in the modern day that I was not planning when I <laughs> plotted out this story, but there you have it. Uh-huh. Have yep. you had a similar experience? Oh, all the time. Nothing particular is leaping to mind, but it's, it's very... Usually it'll be something more personal, like I'll write something, and then I'll come back to it a month or two later to revise, and I'll realize that oh my God, I've just spilled my deepest, darkest secrets. And the revision becomes a kind of polishing and papering over process so no one else can see that. (laughs) (laughs) Pay no attention to the man behind Uh, the curtain. Oh, I I wrote this story because I was in love with this particular woman who was unavailable and I needed to vent the feelings. Oh boy. (laughs) <laughs> awkward but, yeah i've actually i actually didn't change that story because that story was perfect the way it was but mm. but i was when i put it out i was hoping that no one would notice which one it was <laughs> <laughs> so yes uh sadly we will have to put to rest the whole little field theory of oz as populism however that does not negate the fact that the parallel story in the world of Metamore City was in fact written as a screed in favor of Flatlands Province joining the Empire. So, <laughs> Amy, my explanation still holds. It just doesn't quite have the same parallels in the real world that it used to. All nice. right, Dan, give us another one. Chris Lester. 
I meant to write this right after I heard chapter 20, but life got in the way. I was sweeping the deck when I heard the breakfast table discussion in this episode roughly 8 to 10 minutes in. I had to stop. There were tears in my eyes and shivers going up my back. I was raised in a polyamorous environment. In high school, I attempted to continue the practice, but I found I had to explain it to strangers and partners alike. In this episode, I heard all the things my stumbling words were unable to convey in a venue I never expected. It was both eerie and comforting, and I cried. I've listened to a fair number of podcasts and follow Moravi and Murder at Avedon Hill, and yours is the only one that's evoked that strong an emotional reaction from me. Keep up the good work, Chris, and thank you. Rose Wheeler. Wow. That, that is, that's amazing. That's the kind of feedback that uh, we live to get. Thank you very much, Rose. Um, I was very concerned when I started writing this story about making sure that the poly elements of the uh, telepath society were represented in a way that was honest and um, true to life as possible, given the differences between... Um, you know, telepaths and, you know, mundane humans. So I'm really glad to hear that the, you know, the experiences that they were having and the, that the way that they expressed themselves uh, worked for you and that it, it uh, touched on something that was, that was meaningful to you. So thank you very much. So, you know, obviously everything that I, I wrote about the, uh, the poly society has been, uh, Based on, on third-person research, but uh, you guys have had more experience with that side of mm-hmm. uh, society than I have. So yes. what was your, your take when you first started listening to Metamore? I was very, very pleased. I, I kept smiling through the whole thing, both because it was v- done very well and explained very well, and because I've been around and in enough poly families to be able to spot exactly how it's going to fall apart <laughs> when it does. <laughs> and so I'm, wait, I'm waiting to see if I'm right about that. It's very well set up. Well, thank you. Or waiting to see if I'm right about that, I guess. Well, or that. I mean, it might not fall apart at all. But if it does fall apart, I've got... there. There's, some, there, there's a bunch of stuff you dropped in chapters 1 through 5 that set up exactly where the fracture lines will go. And uh, if you've been around even just enough uh, monogamous relationships, but definitely around enough poly families or church communities, mm. um, because they have they do have some unpleasant parallels, as well as some pleasant ones, um, it shows what you're setting up, and it's going to be very cool. Church is a metaphor for poly. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's supposed to be it's supposed to be a family, you know. And, Tote communal equality, no male and female. The basic difference is the Christian church frowns on group sex, mm. but otherwise, the at least the ideal, <laughs> yeah, at least the ideal of the body of Christ and the community of believers is um, very similar to what a poly ideal is. Hmm. Um, I've been listening very much out of order, so I don't really have a, a, a comment on the uh, polyamorous groupings in Metamore City at this time. Okay. Well, we'll come back to you in a few months and we'll get your, your <laughs> yes. feedback for the next feedback <laughs> show here. Okay. Uh, next one, Kitty. Okay. Uh, subject, I'd like to thank you for all your good work. Um, hi, Chris. I just wanted to 
drop you a line and say how much I'm enjoying making the cut. I woke up the other morning thinking about the different things that might happen and looking forward to finding out. I was making donations to some of my favorite podcasts and wanted to toss a few dollars your way, but couldn't locate a donate button on your... Okay. And who is that from? From Krista McHugh. Well, thank you very much, Krista. Um, I'm certainly glad that you are enjoying the show enough that you want to contribute financially to show your love for it. Uh, I am not taking donations right now for myself. However... Uh, if you would like to support the show, you can buy um, merchandise at the Metamore City gift shop, which is at zazzle.com slash C-W-L-E-S-T-E-R. That's C-W Lester. Um, the other thing that you can do and what I encourage people to do if they want to donate is uh, to donate to my high school that I teach at, Arise High School. Uh, we have donations going on at Chip-In in order to raise money for the uh, for the science programs that we're doing there, because it's been a very tight fiscal year. Uh, we basically have 160 students, and we're being budgeted by the state as if we only had 94. So we are in a bit of a tight spot this year financially. And uh, if you would like to contribute, you can go to arisescience at uh, .chipin.com and uh, leave your donations there. And I will certainly be very grateful for anything that people want to contribute to allow me to buy things like, you know, scientific experimental supplies and such of that nature. So thank you very much for writing in and thank you for your generosity. They've got you budgeted like you have 90? 94. Yeah, that's what we had the first year. And until they get proof of how many students we retained over the course of our second year, they're not adjusting our budget upwards. That sucks. Yeah, well, at least we're not being closed. A lot of the the small schools are on the chopping block this year because they're Mm. considered to be too inefficient. But uh, fortunately, we have a charter that is good for another three years. So in the absence of any gross ethical violations, we should be okay. Cool. Okay. Hi there, Chris. Just wanted to tell you how happy I am about Daniel's return. Not that I didn't like Danny, but as I told you some months ago, don't worry, I don't expect you to remember every single fan mail you get, I have fallen for Daniel quite early, and I miss him a lot. So I'm really happy to know that he seems to be back. Poor Jared, though. Have a nice day, and keep up the great work. Feline from Vienna, Austria. Hey, Feline. Yes, I do remember you, and uh, I'm glad that you are um, pleased with Daniel, the character, and not just because he's probably the one character who channels more of me than anyone else in the show. Um, it's uh, It's been fun writing both him and Danny and playing up the drama between them, and I am looking forward to the rest of you guys seeing how all of that conflict between them sorts itself out and how they figure out a way to to live with each other so she's in love with danny the next time she's in uh san francisco she should give you a call exactly (laughs) (laughs) actually i i have to say that between all of my characters uh daniel and will from the muse probably between them managed to channel more of me than anyone else um Will is kind of. I, I I so saw you in that one. I was I was reading that and I'm going. This is like Chris's diary entries. <laughs> 
I can hear Chris, not just because you're reading it, but I'm like, this isn't a character. This is Chris's voice. <laughs> <laughs> the way that Will came into existence is I was walking down the street one night in Santa Cruz and had my big leather duster on, and it was a you know big uh, and. Kitty's eating the mic. <laughs> I was walking down the street and, you know, the thing was blowing around me and feeling very dramatic. And I was composing oh, I narration. Like that. Mm-hmm. I was composing narration in my head and then realized what I was doing. <laughs> and I was like, this is so wrong. This is su- such a, a bizarre thing to be doing. I have to put it on a character. <laughs> I catch myself doing that all the time. <laughs> it must be a writer thing. It is. What gets me are foggy nights when it's just barely thin enough to see 100 or 200 feet. Mm-hmm. You get those beautiful halo cones coming down from the lampposts, and mm-hmm. it seems like any second anything could come out of the fog. And, and when that happens, do you find yourself narrating like a, uh, a noir detective? Quite often. Yes. It shows from my book, doesn't it? <laughs> Seeing the Maltese Falcon in the Big Sleep at a young age warped me forever. And then when I got to see Blade Runner, I just fell. I was 14 the first time I saw Blade Runner, and I completely fell in love. With the narration? No. Oh, you didn't see it with the narration? <laughs> oh, no, I saw it with the narration, and ah. I didn't fall in love with the narration. <laughs> no, just with the... Um, there was something about the way, the way Blade Runner played that uh, cracked noir open as a genre for me. Because mm. the whole thing with noir is that you take m- one virtue that you want to explore, and you give that to the to your detective, and then you strip every other virtue completely out of the equation, <laughs> and you write a story as if the only way to be good is to practice that one virtue, mm. and nobody else has any other virtues besides that one. Interesting. And that that idea of exploring ethics and morality by exploring the vacuum created when they're gone really really hit me and i love that that's interesting i wonder what the uh what the the virtue was that was supposed to be in sin city because i sure didn't see one (laughs) but it's frank miller it's pretty (laughs) it's pretty (laughs) beauty i think is probably about it Mm. but it's Frank Miller, and then it's Robert Rodriguez. I mean, you know, right? Go figure. <laughs> you, you don't expect uh, you don't expect great moral reflections. You expect good violence, TNA, and a lot of entertainment. <laughs> here, here, and Jessica Alba. <laughs> <laughs> what is the big deal about Jessica Alba? I really don't get it. I mean, she's um, she's kind of ordinary to me. To me, it is the uh, the interesting blend of racial features and the innocent look. Mm. See, the, the innocent look is why she's not appealing to me. Ah, there you go. I, I think she's adorable. She just has a tendency to pick really boring roles. Well, she is pretty, but yeah. I I guess I find, was that wonderful thing Christopher Hitchens said? He said, uh, innocence in, a, in an eight-year-old is beguiling. Innocence in a 20-year-old is disgusting. Ah. And I kind of have that attitude. Okay. Um, I see innocence. When you get over a certain age, I think innocence is much more a, a sign of um, weakness and stupidity than it is a sign of integrity. Mm. 
Well, in the case of her character, she was very sheltered for the the kind of that's true um, evil that she was surrounded by. So that's it very fit true. With the character, yeah. And also with Dark Angel, you know, that was mm-hmm. a character who, even though she had you know this this darkness uh, mm-hmm. about her. Um, really, she didn't know anything about the world or the way that it worked. One that she did a really good job, and I don't know if you saw it, was an independent film called The Sleeping Dictionary. Haven't seen that one, though. About um, British occupation of Thailand, I think it is. Hmm. And out in the tribal areas, the um, ambassadors are given concubines from the local tribe to live with them and teach them the local language. And it's got Jessica Alba and Bob Hoskins, and it's a really well-done little character study. Hmm. Very And very beautiful. Interesting. You the might like Sleeping Dictionary? The Sleeping it? Dictionary. Okay. Well, you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> All right. Next one. Hey, Chris and other meta-ministration. I'm enjoying the novel, and I very much enjoyed the short stories so far. The characters are appealing and sympathetic, and you get a nice balance of power and weakness, nobility and pettiness in most characters that make them believably human. It's also neat to hear the glimpses into the world of podcasting as you invite other podcasters to play characters and promote their own casts. My favorite character so far is Detective Katane, not just because we have the same name. I'm writing because some of the characterization of Daniel's experiences with womanliness got right up my nose. I should perhaps explain. I listen to podcasts a lot while I'm working on a painting or illustration, and I prefer having long, uninterrupted chunks of narrative. So when I find something I like, I save it up. I got into Metamore City last year sometime, shortly after Morgan's story, and when I ran out of story, I put you aside for a while. The result is that I listened to Chapter 9 this evening while preparing a silkscreen. In the scene at Club Parallax, where Eva teaches Danny how to be a woman, she says repeatedly that a woman's way is to invite rather than to force, to imply rather than insist, and that a more supple, submissive technique is hormonally ingrained into women's minds and will naturally manifest itself if given the chance. This is, one, not true, and two, offensive because it casts women who do act differently or forcefully, as well as circumspect men, as unnatural. Stereotyping of any kind doesn't seem to be your M.O., so I'll focus on the first point. In my decades of experience as Y-chromosomally challenged, I've met women who run the gamut from coquettish masters of manipulation to single-minded, plain-spoken, honest men, so to speak. I've met men along the same gamut. The truth, with ideas of femininity and masculinity as with so many other things, is that each individual person handles things differently. If women in our society are more likely to imply and invite than to ask and lead, it is largely an artifact of our society. It is no more ingrained in women's hormones than the desire to bear children, the inability to handle advanced concepts, or the inability to control our lust unless our clitoris is removed. If a man cast suddenly into the body of a woman started to think frilly thoughts, it would be because he had frilly thoughts all the time but never felt the freedom to think them. That being said, thanks for the tip about putting the panties on over the garter belt. That does simplify things considerably. Forgive me if this topic has been addressed already. I'm quite a bit behind. Well, thank you very much. That was from who? Kate Stewart. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Kate. And uh, I definitely appreciate your honest and uh, very well thought out feedback on this whole issue. Um, before I go any further, I'm going to go ahead and open it up to Dan to see what uh, things you observed <laughs> the, the, when you were listening. Th- this is this is this is a way of taking the heat off you, right? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Absolutely. No. <laughs> now I'll say what I think, but I, I want to yeah. see what the perspective of another metamorph is here. Um, I, th- I actually thought the scene was very, um, very good and very powerful. And I don't think it implied that she was submissive at all. Mm, certainly not. That's, that's one thing that I never, I would have to, um, contest in your, your message, Kate, really the only thing that I would openly, uh, contest was, uh, yeah, Ava is definitely not about being submissive. She was, um, she was always about getting what she wants, which is, you know, to be expected for somebody who spends her days working with the criminal element and uses mm-hmm. every resource that she has to her greatest possible advantage. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I was just agreeing with you and, mm-hmm. and hoping you would continue. <laughs> <laughs> no, please go on. Oh. Take the heat off me. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is this is a bad bad situation because Kitty is sitting here looking amused at both of us, and we're here <laughs> sitting here two post feminist men who love women, <laughs> love strong women, I and love strong say. women particularly. Um as uh, anyone who's listened to either of our books can tell. But, um, yeah, the... Uh, And since I'm uh, listening to uh, several of of Chris's stories completely out of order, I have no idea what scene this is is about, so I... We should have played the scene for... I I um, really can't, can't comment on the scene as such. I... Okay. Could you hand me the uh, the feedback? There were a couple of points that were really interesting. <coughs> Studio is a little too large. Yeah, here for we're we're arrayed around my living room right now. The um, let's see, what was it, uh, Kate? When you said um that ideas of uh, femininity and masculinity vary greatly from person to person, I think you're absolutely correct. Agreed. And that they vary from society to society, society quite wildly. I also think you're absolutely correct. Mm-hmm. But I think you unintentionally hit on another great truth when you say it's no more ingrained in women's hormones to seduce men this way than is the desire to bear children. I think you're absolutely correct, but I think it proves the opposite point. Women's brains are structured so that, and I'm speaking on a population-wide basis, um, the variation between individuals within a population are always greater than the variations between individuals of differing populations. Mm-hmm. However, you can always say things in general about any given population that will hold true most of the time for most of its members. Male and female brains are different, and they're different because of the hormone baths that people receive in, um, in utero development and in neonatal development and then again at puberty. And these hormones can radically change the sex of the brain, despite what the chromosomes are, is one of the reasons you have transsexual people. Mm -hmm. Transsexual people are people who have a male brain in a female body or a female brain in a male body because of the timing and nature of the hormone baths they received neurologically during their development. So... um, if you get a um, if you get a man cha- uh, if you put a male brain in a woman's body, then you're right; it won't automatically begin thinking frilly thoughts. Leave it in a woman's body long enough, and it'll happen because the hormonal balance in the woman's body is very, very different than the hormonal balance in a man's body. Mm-hmm. Um, and as different as women and as ideas of femininity and masculinity are across cultures, 
There are certain things that are similar across all cultures, even in the very few matriarchal cultures that have been reported. And one of them is uh, our methods of seduction um, that women tend to seduce through invitation rather than conquest, um, whereas men tend to seduce through conquest. They tend to communicate physically more so than verbally, not that they don't communicate superbly well verbally, but they tend to communicate more um, content physically and non-verbally than do men. Men expect people to take them at their word, and we get offended when people don't. Women expect people to pick up on the implications of what they're saying, and they get offended when men miss the boat and just take them at their word. <laughs> and No, no, everything's fine. <laughs> right. <laughs> And again, this is yeah. <laughs> this is on an this is this is on an average on an average basis. But um, mm -hmm. the key thing here is that you've got two overlapping bell curves right. of behavior and thought patterns mm -hmm. and psychologies. And yes, there's a lot of overlap. And yes, I also have known uh, men and women who ran over the whole spectrum of mm -hmm. masculinity to femininity Likewise. in their behavior. But mm -hmm. the difference is yeah, where absolutely. is. Where's the peak of the bell curve? Where are the, the majority of the individuals in a population showing mm -hmm. up? And that is where you tend to see more of the effects of these hormonal yeah. um, and the bell issues. curves And the bell curves on everything from intelligence to strength to sex drive to, um, to um, genderized mannerisms to um, communication skills look different across the male population than they do across the female population. Males tend to be extremists. They'll either be on, they're much more likely to be geniuses or idiots than they are to be normal than women are. Women are much more likely to be normal than they are to be either geniuses or idiots. You still have women geniuses who are every bit as capable or even actually a little more capable than the smartest of the male geniuses, if my latest uh, reading is correct on the subject. And you still have female idiots who are every bit as dumb as the dumbest men. But when you look at the bell curves, the male bell curve is shallower than the female bell curve. And there are a lot of very interesting theories about why that would be, having to do with our evolutionary history and how sexual selection has shaped the Y chromosome differently from the X chromosome. Feminism, got, I think feminism got it wrong when they said men and women are not different. I think it's patently obvious to anyone who does any sort of scientific study that men and women are biologically and neurologically different on average. But different doesn't mean unequal. Right. Equality doesn't mean sameness. Exactly. And, and I think also different doesn't mean that all women should, expect it, should be expected to act like the average woman or, or all right. men should be expected to act like the average men. Right. Just because there is an average doesn't mean that that is what is supposed to be right and as for the uh the advice that ava was giving to danny there's a few things that you have to be aware of here number one uh ava is explicitly giving danny advice on how to operate as a woman within their society within that cultural context and specifically within the cultural context that Ava is familiar with, which is that of the, the clubbing the, scene, the clubbing scene and the social manipulator. I mean, that is what she does as both Evan and Ava is she plays people and she works them over and she uses people to get what she wants. And so everything that she is going to tell Danny is filtered through 
that screen of what she uh, perceives as being normal and appropriate conduct, which is that you project the image that you need to in order to get what you want from people. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing to be aware of is the fact that um, both Ava and Danny are operating under the curse of Metamore, which is specifically was designed to turn people into pleasure slaves in its original form. I mean, this was a weapon that was designed to disable the defenses of the people of Metamore and to eliminate resistance. And the fact that it was um, moderated and cut back in its the intensity of its effects by the counterspell does not negate the fact that that was originally part of the program. There was a very distinct... Um, mental conditioning that was part of the spell. And every androgyne deals with these effects of the increased... Hypersexualization. Hypersexualization. And it's stronger in their dominant form, the form they were changed into, than it is in their base form. Um, This actually, we're talking about the difference between averages and particulars. Um, Reminds me of a conversation you and I had a few weeks ago about the the poly in your book being kind of... uh, slanted Mm. (laughs) we have a voicemail about that later oh really okay but um i mean my experience with poly is uh i've known just as many families where there are multiple men to one women or more men in the family than women or you know as as the opposite Mm -hmm. and i was kind of like you know chris you've done this well but you've missed this whole other part and you know just and aside from breeding considerations which are integral to the story right um and you, I, if I remember right, you said something to the effect of, um, you're kind of deliberately playing to the averages. You know, on average, men tend to be more territorial about sex than women do, or women mm-hmm. tend to be more territorial about relationships than men do. And so, you're deliberately playing to the averages with how you set this up so that it's um, accessible to the most people. Right. Um, yeah, I, I mean, probably that's... just said what you were going to say, but <laughs> thought well, pretty it might much. Be, it I might mean... be germane. I mean, in terms of, you look at biologically at the history of the human species and of our closest relatives, the uh, the primates, um, they're all mildly polygynous. Um, that means that given all things being equal, they tend towards social structures in which you have one uh, male with several female partners. And it's worth differentiating between social uh, social bonding and sexual bonding. Right. Because there's a very big difference in both humans and apes. That's true. That's true. And uh, between chimp, you know, standard chimpanzees and bonobos, and bonobos and, right. yeah, you can you can go into a really interesting sort of animal behavior tangent here that I'm not going to deal okay. with. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, on the whole, um, that females tend to be community builders in the primates and in the hominids, and whereas um, men tend to be highly competitive. Exactly. And you look at the things that humans did in the early tribal societies, this makes sense. You know, the women stayed close to the cave and gathered resources and took care of the children and had to keep track of where everything was that was locally important to the tribe, while the men went out and just had to kill mammoths. I mean, that, that, they had a very simple job. Man, take spear, go kill big hairy thing. Bring back to cave. I mean, it's very direct, very straightforward. 
But it's it's interesting as we're talking about this because I real I realize that in antithesis I've gone almost exactly the opposite. I've inverted those classical gender roles. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've noticed, but mm. the the lone wolves are um, people like Cassie, Cassie and Allie, highly competitive, predatory women. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, not not predatory in a sexual sense, predatory in a literal sense. They they get off on hunting and killing people. Um, <laughs> very, very individualistic to the detriment of their relationships mm-hmm. in the way that usually you only see in workaholic men. Whereas the men, uh, the ma- the male heroes, Joss and Doug, they're both operating kind of as lone wolves, but they're operating towards the goal of building a new culture right. and building new communities. And so it's almost a, a mirror reversal of what of of how you've played gender roles in in your universe. It is interesting. I hadn't thought about it, but it is it it definitely is true that your your male characters tend to be more feminine than your female ones in a lot of cases. <laughs> Very, and uh, the Mortonites too. Barry. Oh yeah, yeah. Closely the... knit community of all men. Very closely knit. <laughs> Couldn't separate them with a crowbar. <laughs> or a whole lot of lube. <laughs> but, um, which is, which is, you know, not to say there aren't community building women like, um, uh, like Marjorie from the Children of Light or mm. Jade, mm-hmm. who are more, you know, more traditionally relationship focused. But the strongest women in the story this, thus far are the, the ones who are stereotypically masculine, but, aren't actually very masculine when you get into their character and the mm-hmm. strongest men in the story so far are the ones who are who have more stereotypically feminine traits and I I just put that together as we were talking. Yeah, it's it's and there's an interesting difference in terms of scriptwriters like to talk about people who solve problems on a logical basis versus people who solve problems on an in intuitive basis. Mm-hmm. And how you're in most scripts your logical uh, characters tend to be your male ones, and your intuitive problem solvers tend to be your female ones. And when it's reversed, you can tell, but you can't always put your finger on why. Classic example: The X Files, where Scully mm-hmm. is the logical and Mulder is the intuitive. intuitive right. Or in uh, Alien, uh, Sigourney Weaver's mm-hmm. character is very much a logical-minded And one character. of the most amazing female characters ever, ironically, because it was written for a man. And she auditioned and said, "No, no, don't change it. I want to play it as if a, w- it, it, play it as a woman. You mm-hmm. know, play it feminine, and it worked so well. It did. Just it was... one of the most amazing, unique characters in the history. And of so film. hot. <laughs> <laughs> you heard that. it here first. <laughs> yes, Chris actually has friends that are like his characters in some ways. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Do we have any more email? Um, yeah, I've got one more over here, and I think Kitty's got three more over there. No, I've, I've got the tail end of Oh, the Kate. tail end of, yes, oh, let's yes, hear the rest of Kate's yeah. letter. Please. Okay, um, also, I, uh, this is the very end of Kate's, um, email, and is a, of a completely different topic. Uh, she adds, also, I'm curious about your naming conventions. I noticed Victor and Fiona's surnames both begin with the prefix hin, I don't recognize this from any Earth cultures, especially not Irish. Is it a translation of an existing word like Yamato for Japanese, or is it an indicative of something unique to your world? Thanks for doing this podcast. It's obviously a lot of work, but it pays off. I hope you enjoy doing it as much as I enjoy listening to it. 
Thank you, Kate. Uh, yes, uh, kin is something that I invented specifically for Metamore because I wanted a prefix that uh, was not going to be distinctly associated with any um, real-world uh, naming convention. Uh, Hin is actually Elvish for child. And so in the world of Metamore, since the, the humans of Galendor lived for a long period of time under Elvish rule, they incorporated a lot of El Elvish loanwords into their what became common. And is it Metamore Elvish or is it like Cinderin? Um well Metamore Elvish, the I've used Quenya and Cinderin, um just gratuitously ripped them off from <laughs> Tolkien. Um because it's a very easy, ready made source of language. Um there are some words Yes, thief. Uh there are some <laughs> words that I have invented uh specifically for the human old tongue that represent the original um, root words from the language before the elves got a hold of human society. But Hin is one that was directly pulled from the uh, the Quenya corpus word lists that are out there. And I just decided that the humans would start using this originally to mean, you know, child of. So you would have Marai Hin Dana, Marai the child of Dana. And uh, then over time, these uh, names would become fixed, kind of like it did in Scottish with uh, mm -hmm. with MacDonald. Exactly, right? Exactly. And another place where you see that the other prefix that I use a lot is Ard, which is used in Malcolm Ardvalos or uh, Wessex Ard Kapler in the original Metamore Keep series. That one was actually invented, I think, by Charles Matthias, and uh, I've continued to use it in my own writings. So yes, uh, Mick and O are represented by the roles of Hin and Ard in our society. And cool. Yeah, so there you have it. Thank you very much, Kate, for all of your thoughts, and uh, thanks for writing in. Kitty, you are so adorable. <laughs> Kitty's here making uh, various faces at Dan to try to get him to crack up while I'm... I'm babbling so she's also doing rather obscene things to the microphone <laughs> <laughs> and looking around innocently <laughs> she is a woman of few words and many facial expressions which doesn't really work for a podcast <laughs> no it doesn't fortunately she actually uh she actually reads for mine which is nice all right next one okay Hi, Chris. I've just recently discovered Metamore City, and I want to say that I fell in love at the first listen. I'm currently at MCP-012 and catching up as fast as I can on my one-hour commute each way. Once I've caught up, I'll explore your website a little more fully. Until then, it's eyes averted lest I get spoiled. As an old-school RPGer, the first few short stories really hit my D&D &D and White Wolf sensibilities right on their sweet spots, hooked me and reeled me in. If I were a GM seeking to tell one story in both rule sets, I could not imagine how to do it better, and I love the deft touches such as the female illusionist cop messing with the rookie kid who couldn't keep his gaze where it belonged. I like that too. <laughs> I also want to thank you for having the courage to tackle adult themes in a properly adult manner, as opposed to all that awful pubescent garbage that is out there. I found your portrayal of the growing relationship between Will and Callie in The Muse especially touching. I hope to hear more of Will as I catch up. I'm sure spending 12 days as a woman will have given him some insights and will make him less of a klutz with Callie, but no spoilers, please. 
I must also say that your voice cast is beyond superb, and your production values are right up there with the BBC. I mean that quite seriously. Levels are perfectly matched, and your sound effects and music are perfectly chosen. Please communicate my praise to all voice cast. All power to you, and keep up the good work. Best regards, Richard, London, UK. Thank you very much, Richard, and I'm glad that you... Uh considered me to be addressing these topics in a mature and um, adult manner. Hopefully you will still think so after having gotten through um, as much of making the cut as we've done so far, since I have been accused of uh, foisting uh, prepubescent garbage on people. Really? Yeah, some of the... Oh, i got to hear about this. Some of the comments on... Tell tell us more, tell us more. (laughs) Some of the comments on the Metamorph City... um, page on iTunes have uh, been interesting and we've also gotten uh, I got one comment that was sent to the website um, that basically said that I you know I grew out of this stuff when I was in ninth grade <laughs> and so oh man yeah that was a bit harsh um, yeah but you know I'm glad that some people think that uh, we're handling things in a a mature and uh responsible manner and hopefully your opinion has not changed uh as far as will is concerned i definitely want to get back to him and callie in the future um right now i'm just looking for a story for them because will is not the kind of person who looks for adventure as a matter of fact he is the sort of person who tries to avoid adventure wherever possible he's very much like arthur dent in that fashion and in, in in if I remember the muse right, in the muse he goes on the adventure because it's a research project. He's like treating it like a research project the whole way through. Well, right? he, I mean, he he treats his whole life like a research project. <laughs> I mean, that's that's one of the things about the character is that his head is so firmly stuck in writer mode that it's very difficult for him to get out of that. And uh, he is like you. Yes. <laughs> Yes, Say that again to the micro. He, he is just like you. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so you know, the the character definitely plays on that aspect of me. The the whole sense of you know seeing the world as raw material for for writing stories. Mm-hmm. And yes, he gets into it um, partly because it's a chance to to be a hero mostly because Callie's hot and because he wants to have this chance to you know. Definitely good motivations for me. <laughs> Very good motivation, but uh, yeah, it's like this is the this is the guy who never has any luck with women. So hey, here he has a chance to help uh, be a hero and and help this damsel in distress. And then of course as, it gets all kinds of complicated on as him. Natasha would say, distress that dress. Who cares? I'm distraught. <laughs> <laughs> Much easier with pants. Mm, <laughs> Particularly the British version. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody better explain that to oh, me. Oh, okay. Um, what we call pants, the British call trousers. Okay. And what the British call pants, we call underwear. underwear. Gotcha. <laughs> okay. And we do see some of Cali in pants then, in the British sense. <laughs> But yes, right now I'm just looking for a story to uh, to put Will in. Uh, but for the time being, he's probably going to go back to his classes and his writing and uh, 
you know, as far as him dealing with the adjustments to 12 days as a woman, that would kind of be rehashing what Daniel went over with Danny. Mm -hmm. So So if you're interested in that, listen forward to making the cut because the novel explores that quite deeply. Yes. Just not with Will, just with my other alter ego. (laughs) (laughs) You're, you're establishing kind of a Heinlein precedent in every, every novel. You've got one character that's you, right? (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I've got a number of uh, characters, you know, a number of short stories that don't have any characters who are directly me. Um, Some of them, I mean, certainly they they project aspects of me, but that's true of all of them. Yeah, at the end of every writer. Yeah, I don't think you can create a character who is not at some level composed of pieces of you, uh, which makes me really worried about who Morgan is. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's. I'm I'm convinced that's the reason a lot of people with a lot of talent never put their stuff out because it feels so exposing. You have to have a very healthy, or maybe a very unhealthy exhibitionist streak to do this. Yeah, I mean, or a pathological need for attention. What's the What's the saying <laughs> that uh, writing is like uh, you know dancing naked on the roof of your house or something? I, <laughs> I like that, that saying. One, yeah. And getting into a similar theme, since we're we're headed in that direction anyway, I'm going to play this voicemail, and uh, we'll get some comments from you guys on this. Hey Chris, this is Abby from the Prophet of Panamandora podcast, and I wanted to say that your uh, your podcast is my favorite thing on my iPod right now. It's awesome, and I'm really enjoying it. Um, your the voice acting that you have together is is just just superb and um i'm taking notes (laughs) for my next project i i'm i would i would love to pick your brain sometime i have one question i'm kind of curious i don't there's something that i've noticed that you do and i don't know whether you're aware that you do it you probably are because you're a smart person you're probably aware of it but i was just curious um I'm assuming that you're heterosexual. Obviously, you're a guy. And it seems to me that everyone in your world shares your orientation. (laughs) And what I mean by that is all the men are straight and all the women are bisexual. So all the guys want to bang a girl and all the girls want to bang a girl. (laughs) And, um... It's 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 very forgivable because this is a this is a common phenomena. I mean, straight men love to write gay women, and straight women love to write gay men, and that's a that's very <laughs> yes. common. We like to write someone who is the opposite gender from us but shares our orientation. It's not fair to get upset at an author for doing that. It may be that you that you can't do it any other way. I mean, it's possible that you're not able to write a scene that's truly focused on a man and is not, you know, focused on boobies or whatever. Um, I I know that I would have a hard time writing a scene that was focused on a girl. But I just, I notice it because um, making the cut is focused on on gender and sexuality, and that is actually an important theme in the story. It wouldn't be so obvious and so glaring if if that were just kind of a side issue and not such a primary theme in the story. And and I know that you've got, you know, you've got the token gay man with his sage advice. And and, and PG Holyfield reads him with a 
a delicious voice. But, you know, we never see him with his partner. We we never see them so much as hold hands. I mean, that, that other person is absent. So all of the characters that actually are rounded and and who are sexual in the course of the story uh, and, and whose eyes we tend to look through um, seem to share your orientation. They may, if they're girls, they may, in addition, you know, be willing to go to go to bed with men occasionally, but they also share your orientation. You you don't have any really straight girls, and you don't have any really gay men who are sexual on stage. And again, I'm not I'm not faulting you for this. I'm not saying I'm certainly not saying that you're a bad writer for this. I'm just kind of curious as to whether you realize that you're doing it, because I think that you're trying to write a story that plays with gender and does a lot of different things with gender and explores it and challenges it. But I wonder if you realize that everybody in this story shares your orientation, all the important characters who feel real and rounded. As a heterosexual female, I I miss... (laughs) I miss seeing my own orientation represented. So so anyway, I think there is a deficit of man love in the story, and and I, I am hoping for a Daniel and Brian scene, but I don't think it's going to happen. Anyway, you're doing a very good job, and it's a, it's a superb podcast and a superb story, and I'm really enjoying it. Have a Merry Christmas. Daniel and Brian, you know, that would work very well, actually, particularly if you had Daniel switching genders in the middle of the act. <laughs> the only, the, you know, it, as intriguing as the idea is, I'm pretty sure that, that Brian Watson, who voices the character, will hunt me down and kill me. <laughs> <laughs> He's too straight for that, huh? Uh, <laughs> Don't be too sure of, of your actor's unwillingness to play uh, gay characters. Uh, earlier this year, um, Dan and I did a, a short film that started with a straight couple, and the actress who we had cast for the wife in it had to bail because of an auto accident or... On the way to the set. On the way to the set. Wow. Um, we had one day. And we had one day available to shoot. So we, I, I looked at what we had and said, who says they have to be straight? We are in San Francisco. And so Dan called the actors and asked them if they were willing. And it turned out that they were. So we did some some shuffling of the cast. And, and one of the uh, secondary male characters ended up being the boyfriend. Hmm. And it actually worked really well. I'll have to show it to you. It's a, it's not quite all the way done yet because okay. it was supposed to be for Obsidian, and then it got buried under Antithesis, ah, <laughs> and yes. so it's like ninety percent done. So anyway, uh, in answer to your question, Abby, um, it is something that I am aware of. Um, you're not the first person to mention this issue to me. Basically, all I can say in my defense is that when I started writing Metamore City, um, I had made a conscious decision to start exploring issues that I hadn't explored in my writing before. And one of those was um, alternative sexualities. And so I was sort of using Metamore City as an outlet for a lot of the 
things that the themes and issues that I wasn't able to address in the other um, settings in which I was writing at that time. And so a lot of the stories, the early um, stories have that very sexual, very adult flavor um, and tend to deal a lot with alternative sexualities because it was my outlet for all of this other stuff that I wasn't able to channel anywhere else. That having been said, once I got into making the cut and started to realize with this vast panoply of characters, how few of them were actually androsexual. Um, this was when I began to suspect that Morgan was actually my muse and that, <laughs> that I was getting my ideas from a bisexual vampire. But, <laughs> because I just, I end up writing, you know, these stories and then I look back at them and I'm saying where are all of these bisexual female characters coming from but um, so yes I am aware of it um, I will point out a few things in my defense one is that in making the cut the only actual um, intercourse scene that we have is between a man and a woman, and it is from the woman's point of view. So that is that is something that I was deliberately trying to address uh, in that story, was the imbalance of pretty much all of the sex being lesbian up until that point in the story. The, uh, the characters themselves follow a pretty broad uh, spectrum on the Kinsey scale. Uh, I would say that uh, Sasha and Fiona tend to be more towards the the lesbian side of things. Um, Rebecca is more towards the uh, androsexual side, and uh, Danny and Ava are pretty much in the middle. And Morgan, of course, is pretty much smack dab in the middle. Because... <laughs> Morgan is the middle. But yes, I am aware that uh, there has been a shortage of, as you say, man love in the stories. <laughs> The uh, I can't promise anything with, with Daniel and Brian because <laughs> with me and my, my best friend voicing the characters, that oh, might be that's just a why little... I've forgotten that Brian was your best friend in real life. Yeah, that might be a little weird. <laughs> then again, you could, um, uh, in the, there's this one episode of Arbiter Chronicles where Stephen H. Wilson and his best friend who played the voices played a love scene together. <laughs> <laughs> And in the lead in the op, in the opening of the episode, he says, "This has got to be the strangest recording experience I ever had. <laughs> I had to have Renee edit it. <laughs> Renee's his wife. Gotcha. I'm sure she was very happy to do so. <laughs> I'm sure she was. But this is actually similar to a, an experience that you had in writing Antithesis. Yeah. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I've got a very strange set of um, of blinders on because I grew up in San Francisco, and for the last, probably the last 12 to 15 years, almost every woman I've known more than casually has been bisexual. It's, I don't know why that is, it's just happened. It might be because it's the area, it might be because... I became sexual, sexually aware during the era of lesbian chic, and so women were more prone to be experimenting with it or... What? But so my default mode, you know, when, when I'm getting to know a woman or creating a character, is uh, of, of course she's bisexual unless I find out otherwise, because I've got a selection bias that is really skewed towards a very 
towards a relatively statistically unlikely end of the spectrum. Um, so I was very deliberate in trying to work straight characters into antithesis. You know, Allie's straight and Jade is straight, um, and Cassie's bisexual and um, um, Brittany's a lesbian. But in all this confusion, I never deliberately put in gay men. Because I've been around gay men my whole life, and I assumed they would just naturally appear in my story. Because they're part of the background noise in my life. But they didn't. <laughs> I get get I get up through... Um, and I think part of the reason I didn't is I grew up in an evangelical church mm-hmm. and household where... You know, we know those kinds of things happen, and we're we're not homophobic, but we don't talk about it in polite society. Mm-hmm. And there's always been more of a bias against uh, right. gay men than there has been against lesbians. Right. And after what I'm about to tell you about happened, I realized that subconsciously that pressure to not talk about gay men was was still working on me. But uh, what happened, We got um, I got about uh, 200 pages into the rewrite, about the point where the co- podcast is right now, about episode 14, um, and Kitty's reading through it, and she's like, where are all the gay men? <laughs> she's like, I know you're not homophobic, where are all the gay men? And I'm like, well, he's, no, uh, he's, no. Shit, they're all straight. <laughs> well, it's like the moment that I had when uh, I think it was Sarah asked me, Sarah who plays Danny. She says, "Is there any woman in Metamore City who is not bisexual?" <laughs> yeah, and I had to start and think. Um, yeah, yeah, Kate, Kate is straight. <laughs> but but so, so so I'm sitting here. I'm going, holy shit! I'm halfway through the book, and I've had no gay men show up. And this is a future pluralistic world in which the points of contention are other than whose genitals we prefer to stroke when we're happy. And um, and so so I'm look, looking around, going, what can I do to salvage this situation without rewriting and fundamentally? Because the only gay the only gay guy I had up to that point was a woman in a refrigerator type of scenario it was mm. Scott Walters who shows up in one scene, picks up one of the characters and gets killed by him, which is not exactly, you know, <laughs> for those of you who are not familiar with the women in refrigerators phenomenon, uh, look into, do a Google search on comic books, women, there, in refrigerators. There, there's a Wikipedia article, women in refrigerators. There you go. But he was basically a woman in a refrigerator. And that wasn't a good way to start. Uh... Not so much. <laughs> so I'm looking around, I'm going, what the hell can I do? I'm, I'm, I'm screwed. I've written myself into a corner. So to speak. Right. <laughs> all, I'm buggered. All my, um... <laughs> all my main characters for this novel are spoken for. And if I change their, something as fundamental as their sexual orientation, it's going to throw off the character dynamic balance in the book because it's a character-driven book. I can't just have someone, you know, some one of the men be incidentally bisexual. You know, it's mm. got to affect who they are and how they do things and how the plot unfolds. And I did not want to replot at this point because I was writing the second draft written ten years after the first draft. I wanted to <laughs> write the second draft, do a polish, and be done. And then it occurred to me that I did need a whole cast of minor characters upon whom the major characters were acting. And up to that point in the book, we don't see a lot of the minor characters. And from that point forward, we see a lot of them. And that's by design. But I realized I could make the minor characters gay and then have some of them be promoted in the next book to major characters. 
and uh, and and Kitty was really giving me shit about this because she likes slash, and so she's <laughs> like, "I want to see the gay man. I want to see pe- see guys kissing. It's so hot." So um, <laughs> I figured out that the reason that we hadn't seen any gay men was we hadn't been in the arts community where there are always lots of gay men, and the rest of them were in jobs where the risk of damage to one's fertility was so high that it wasn't economically that most straight men wouldn't find the pay scale attractive so it was a self-selecting sort of so it was a self-selecting type of segregation that around which grew um which in, in any kind of self-selecting situation like that you tend to have a very homogenizing culture and part of that is the religion and I thought, okay, so I need a gay religion. <laughs> and I remembered the secret gospel of Mark and the controversy around Morton Smith. So I came up with the Mortonites and I introduced them with Volish, who is now my favorite character in the whole <laughs> book. Mine too. He is so I much love him. fun. And um, I look at that character and I think, oh, Dan must have had a blast writing this oh, guy. Oh, I so did. And by that time, I really needed to because the plot's getting so thick. I just needed five or ten pages where I could cut loose with a character who was so different from everyone who we'd seen. <laughs> and he's different in every way. And so that's how I solved my, my lack of gay men problem. And I'm not telling you who, but some of the Mortonites get promoted to major characters in subsequent books. Some of them die, and I'm not telling you who. (laughs) (laughs) And if you guys are not listening to Antithesis yet, why not? Didn't you listen to what I told you last episode? (laughs) Honestly, get with it, people. But yes, I mean, I'm the whole thing about self-selecting um, societies is a problem that I ran into with making the cut because mm. you've got here the whole um, telepath society is focused on reproduction, and furthermore, because they understand how the brain works and they have the ability to manipulate it, they actually have the ability to alter orientation, and so there is. A certain extent. Wait, 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 wait. They can alter orientation? Yes. You've got to play with this more. This I'm... is very promising in future stories. <laughs> yeah, I made a reference to it um, oh. when uh, there's, a, there's a scene where um, Daniel and uh, Brian are hugging and Sasha comes into the room and is sort of snarking about it and, uh, you know, saying, you know, the whole, this, the, Manly thumps on the back mean, I love you, man, but not in that way. And uh, Daniel turns around to her and says, damn straight. And she says, yes, you are, but don't worry, we can cure that now. And one of, <laughs> I love it. One of my favorite lines by her in the entire... I, I love Sasha. She she just gets to be the voice of, of my snark. But yes, there there is a certain extent to which the individuals in the telepath society, there's a strong... Um, reason for strong motivation for men to be you know for men who are uh, powerful enough to actually have a place in this society Mm -hmm. to be a gynosexual and for women to be bisexual and if they're not they'll go get reprogrammed exactly that actually is one part that could be a fun plot on that's a really good idea for how to introduce a gay character have one of the male characters that the rest of the group doesn't want to breed Mm be reprogrammed to be gay. Ooh. 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 
that's that would be nasty. <laughs> and an interesting inversion on the homosexual conversion therapy controversy. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Anyways, you'll probably want, you should exit that out. Oh, I, I, your choice. It's a, it's, it's, I, I, I like the. It, it is an interesting idea, and it's not anything that I currently have written into the story. But if anybody is listening to this feedback show, you've got a possible hint there of something that might happen <laughs> at some point in the future. Uh, but yeah, that that's I'm, I'm starting to to play around with some thoughts and and yeah. Anyway, moving on. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that is something that is par- actually part of Sasha's backstory that we didn't get into hmm. was the fact that you know she had not been part of the um, telepathic society and then was brought into it when she was like tw- um, eleven or twelve, and that she chose to have her her um, orientation restreamed from. Uh, straight to bisexual to make um, it socially easier to make it socially themselves. easier and um, also to some extent for Fiona because she had gotten so attached to Sasha and was you know Sasha was like her first you know friend who who meant anything to her um, so that's a little bit of their their backstory that I would like to go back and do a short story about someday I don't know if I'll I'll ever get the chance but it would be pretty fun to do that would be fun um but yes, yeah, so the, most of the characters, by their very nature, are going to tend to be more gynosexual in the you know the the sector of the um, Metamorph City society that we're focusing on in making the cut. I have Kevin and his little relationship off on the side with with Stephen, but by their very nature, because they're outsiders within the collective and they're not really involved that much in what's going on, they're not in the center of the plot. And I couldn't find a way to work in any scenes with um, Kevin and Steven that would have not been gratuitous. And the story, you know, the, the story has to come first. You have to keep things moving. So I apologize, Abby, for the uh, the lack of man love in uh, Metamorphicity <laughs> thus far. That term just cracks me. Man <laughs> love. <laughs> And we're going to take a quick break here so that I can refill my iced tea jar and play a promo, and we will be back with a little bit more feedback. Hi, I'm Dan the Fan. I'm Jefferson Eng. And I'm M-A-N-P-A, and we make up the triad of geekiness known as Fanboy Hell. It's a bi-weekly podcast where each week we roundtape and review a different movie, anime, or TV show. We also talk about Doctor Who, comic books, and video games. So check us out every other week at www.fanboyhell.com or on iTunes. Hey, this is Leanne Mabry from Tag in the Seam, and you're listening to the Metamore City Podcast. Okay, and we are back at Casa Sawyer, and just going to finish up the last few voicemails here. This is Jeff Shock, great big fan of the show and the, the whole world that you, you've created, but I mainly wanted to call and wish you a Merry Christmas, and happy holidays, and all of that good stuff. Bye. Well, thank you, Jeff, 
and happy holidays slash Merry Christmas slash Happy Christmas Quantica to you as well. <laughs> and what's that? What's that one that Seinfeld uh, came up with? Festivus. Festivus. That's right. Happy Festivus. <laughs> uh, hello, Chris. Mr. Lester, sorry. This is uh, Tristan from Ontario. I'm pretty sure you know me by now. I've been harassing... Uh, I don't know. I've been talking to you a lot on the Writer's Wiki and on uh, Twitter and all that. And I just wanted to say that I had just gotten caught up with the whole storyline and I am blown away by how this is moving. It's gone through so many phases, the story, and... uh I'm really looking forward to it. I also wanted to point out that I, I've i been getting into the podcasting scene headfirst really quickly, or really quickly, and I'm trying to start my own, as you know, and uh, out of all of the podcasters I've tried to speak with, you have been the single most friendly and open and responsive person I could ever speak with. Um, I appreciate a lot of the help you've been to me and probably will be in the future. Uh, I really look forward to not just listening, but also being a podcaster alongside you. I don't know. I'll probably always stay in your shadow, but I very much... It'd be very, it would be an honor to stay in the same field, I guess I should say. Uh, another thing is I very much appreciate you uh, opening up the Metamore world and allowing me to write a short story in the world that I'm actually working on right now. And uh, and all the background information you gave me has been very, very much appreciated. Um, before this runs too long, because I already know you get a lot of long feedback, I'd just like to say thank you so much for the hours of entertainment and everything. Uh, I wish... I wish... Uh, I wish Metamore... So much more luck in 2009, and hopefully you'll be hearing my voice around at some time in the future as well. Anyways, uh, enjoy your Christmas and holidays. I will see you next time. Peace. Well, thank you, Tristan. It is definitely a pleasure to be able to help another podcaster get off the ground. It was not all that long ago that I was the rookie who was just very tentatively sending out little you know emails and messages to people saying would you please to be on my podcast sir <laughs> mr t morris miss leanne mabry so i mean i was the recipient of so much uh generosity on the, the part of the people who came into this before me that i feel like it is a civic duty of all podcasters to get to help other people get into the whole process and to get involved and become part of the community. Cause that's exactly what it is. It is a community of people and it's first and foremost about the relationships and the connections that are being formed between people. I mean, I, I have been writing for years and I was a part of a online writers group that uh, I was uh, involved with since 1996 but there's it's one thing to put out stories and to get comments back from people occasionally in email saying what they liked or didn't like about it. But it's a completely different thing to actually be able to have different people's voices um, speaking back and forth um, in fairly close to real time about 
the things that are going on in different shows and having the sort of play back and forth that we have, like with me and uh, PG being uh, nemeses or with T. Morris doing his whole Uber nemesis thing. Or like last week when you and I just happened to review each other's shows at the same time. Exactly, exactly. I mean, it really gives that sense, like, um, was it Kate who was writing earlier about the whole sense of about being a part of a larger world because of the number of, you know, references to I don't remember who yeah. was wrote that in, but yeah. Yeah, a lot of different podcasters being on each other's shows and stuff. So, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, the community is a huge part of this, and it's part of why it is so alive and so vital and the community has amazing it amazes me but it's now it's been four or five years now since uh since um mark jeffrey and t morris and scott sigler started doing this and the community is seems to be as open as it's ever been which is really rare Mm-hmm. Um, among communities, usually by the time you get your second wave closed, it's done. No one comes into the inner circle after that, and that doesn't seem to be the case here. That's true. That's true. There was uh, that was actually something that I experienced with the writers group that I was a part of. I was sort of the third wave of writers coming in, and so I did feel very much like an outsider, even though I got in at the right time to be one of the inner circle for Metamore Keep. Um, so yeah, there's a certain extent, uh, to which founder effects, um, Mm -hmm. usually seem to drastically shape a, a culture of a a group. But, uh, yeah, I, my experience has certainly been that Metamore, or that the, the Metamores had as much help getting started, um, as, you know, JC Hutchins got from, uh, Scott Sigler when he was Mm -hmm. getting started, um, or as Pitt Ballantyne got from T. Morris when yeah. she was getting off the ground. And I've actually, I've actually been really reluctant to ask people, and yet you and Pip and other people have been throwing help my way anyway, even though I've been really timid about asking for it. Well, I think part of that is that when people, because it is such a community-focused thing, when we see somebody doing something brilliant, we want to be a part of it. Because Thanks. we yeah, we. I mean, your writing is tremendous, and I don't want this to turn into a love fest. But honestly, Man love. <laughs> you gotta keep closer to the mic, Kitty. Your comments are too priceless. But you know, seriously, we all want to be part of whatever new cool thing is going on in the community mm-hmm. because. That means more listeners for us. And yeah. it's all about the attention whoring. <laughs> I've been, I mean, you know, what, uh, there's three or four that are coming up that I'm just like watching with eagle eyes. I'm like, can I be in it? Can I be in it? Because mm. it looks, you know, Astral Audio, I've done done a voice. It's not really started mm-hmm. yet, but God, it looks cool. And what is it, Pete? Something Paul Herring's doing? Oh, his, yeah, his yeah. New I'm, cyber, I'm, cybrosis. I'm cybrosis. That, that, that looks like it's going to rock. looks really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then Pip Valentine yeah, is weather doing trail. Weather I'm, Child I'm, this year. And, and Pip, I'm working on my New Zealand accent so I can be in it. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot do a New Zealand accent. As a matter of fact, I got um, a very amusing comment back, an amused comment back from Governor in Australia about my attempt at uh, reproducing Strine in last year's or last uh, episode's uh, feedback section strine for those of you who don't know is what the um the australians refer to as the accent for the people who uh you know are the, the basically they're hillbillies mm-hmm. so yes that that's the the crocodile dundee accent and apparently <laughs> my attempt to to reproduce that was rather comedic for my australian listeners so i'm glad to give you a laugh 
But uh, yeah, I'm getting flashes of Graham Chapman as one of the Bruces now. <laughs> <laughs> I love animals. You, That's why I like to kill them. <laughs> Oddly, I was thinking of the exact same thing. <laughs> Whereas I was thinking of the uh, the Animal Bothering Show. <laughs> I don't think I've seen the Animal Bothering Show. No, the, the Animal Bothering Show is a, uh, a crack in the Shea Geek game uh, referencing mm. the Crocodile Hunter. Uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> Animal butt. I like that. <laughs> That's very appropriate. Yes. Uh, so, what the hell were we talking about again? Man love. The- <laughs> it's always about the man love. All you have to do. Into. It's all you have to do to bring her into the conversation, man. Um, <laughs> and Chris, you're a beautiful man. <laughs> I'm, I'm your sexy young friend, right? <laughs> That would work if you weren't like a foot and a half taller than me. <laughs> I am younger. Oh, man. We were talking about the openness of the community. Oh, yeah. Not necessarily in the man love way, though. <laughs> no, we're not. The, the, there, there may be unexplored potential. <laughs> and the booze kicks in. <laughs> There aren't enough telepaths on this planet to restream my sexuality in that direction. <laughs> Bigot. <laughs> what, men? I was just talking about you specifically. Oh, well, yeah. well at least you have taste. <laughs> oh, okay. Let's, please, let's play the next voicemail here. Before we say anything more, we can get blackmailed for. <laughs> oh, are there any more voicemails? No, that's it, actually. So that's Oh, the- thank God for that. <laughs> <laughs> we have come to the end of the feedback show. No subliminal meaning intended for the words come or end. <laughs> if you would like to add your own... <laughs> And he doesn't mean anything by add your own either. (laughs) (laughs) If you want to be a part of this madness, you are welcome to call into the voicemail line. That is 206-203-0994. That is 206-203-0994. You can also leave your email comments or email your voicemail comments in recorded form to feedback at metamorecity.com. You realize that after this, you're you're going to get a mountain of feedback about what kind of dirty words that phone number can <laughs> We will see. We will see. Well, zero doesn't have any letters associated with it, so that could be a little difficult. Hey, it's a good stand-in for an O, though. That's true. That's true. Okay, so we are going to get out of here and get on to working on Dan's next feedback show for Antithesis, <laughs> which is going to be all kinds of fun, because we will be even more drunk for that than we are for this <laughs> we one. You've got to run both episodes but, on both feeds. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so but, come back for the sequel. Yes, that would be over at jdsawyer.net. For those of you who are not yet familiar with Antithesis, you can head on over there and subscribe. Uh, if you would like to leave comments, you can also uh, chip in your di- to the discussion on the uh, community-run forums, which are at thecursed.org. 
Uh, you can leave comments on the blog at www.metamorecity.com. And we now have a Facebook group for our fans of Metamore City. Um, I did not start it because I think Facebook is evil. But for those of you who like Facebook, hey, it's all good. Um, go on over there and sign up for it and take part in the festivities. Um, I think that, yes, Scott Roche and uh, Danny Cutler have been the instigators on oh, that nice. one. So, Scott Roche, my faithful minion, spiritual tramp, um, also running his own podcast novel, which you guys should definitely check out. And, uh, yeah. So that'll do it for this episode, and we are going to get out of here. So until next time, I will talk to you guys in a couple weeks. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester. Dan Sawyer. And Kitty Nakian. Signing out.